This week's parsha is Parsha's Toldos. In our parsha, we start off with being introduced to these two brothers, Yaakov and Esav. And Yaakov and Esav, of course, were the twins that were born through the tefillahs of Yitzchak and Rivka. And Rashi points out that when they were young, before their bar mitzvah, they were both good, equal, fine, excellent yeshiva boys. At the point of the bar mitzvah, they became mature, and at that point, everybody was able to see the divergent paths that these two individuals would be taking. Yaakov Avino became the Ishtam Yeshe Vahalim. He was the person who was very, very pure, sitting in the tent, sitting in the base medrash, sitting in the tent, as the Sfarna says, of a, uh, a shepherd. His profession was he was a shepherd in addition to being a, a Ben Taira. And Esav went off in a completely different direction. He was a Ish Yedeyat Sayed Ish Sada. He was a hunter. He was somebody that was very into Elam Haza, into Gashmias, into doing Averis. He was a man of the field. Yaakov and Esau, these two twins, became really a lesson in polar opposites. And the choice of their professions, the fact that Yaakov chose to be a shepherd and Esau chose to be a hunter was not by accident, but rather was intentional because the nature of these professions, as Roshiva pointed out in his Sicha this week, is quite um, telling about their personalities. A shepherd, somebody that grazes sheep, is somebody who basically invests a lot of time in long-term investing. I'm not looking to make a quick kill. I'm not looking to do things immediately, to have instant gratification. I understand that it's important in life to, to groom something, to raise something, to invest in something, to build something, which will, down the road, produce long-term dividends. That was the mindset of Yaakov Avinu. Esav was the opposite. Esav was somebody that was a, a hunter. A hunter is not somebody that makes a long-term investment in anything. A hunter is somebody who sees his prey, picks up his rifle, and kills it. It's the opposite way of looking at life. One looks at something as being a long-term marathon and I know that there's a finish line and I have to get there and it might take me a long time, but I'm building, I'm growing, I'm moving, I'm excelling. The other one doesn't see life as a marathon, it's a sprint, it's what happens now. Right now I'm hungry, right now I want to do something, I want to have action and I do it. There's no raising of the animal that I'm hunting, I just see it and I kill it and I take it home. And these two professions, which are so telling of who they really were, of what their personalities 
were basically comes to the into very sharp focus one day when Esav comes home from the field and he's tired and he's exhausted and Rashi says that he did basically every Avera in the book and he sees Yaakov baking or cooking a pot of lentil soup and the Zid Adashim, a cholent if you will and Esav was very hungry and Esav says feed me this red soup that you're making. He didn't even say hachileni. Hachileni would have been a nice, gentle Russian. Haliteni means basically, shove it down my throat. I'm starving. Give it to me. Haliteni. And Yaakovinu says, okay, let's make a deal. You're hungry? You want it? Fine. I want you to sell me the Bechayra. I want you to sell me the right of the firstborn that you are currently in possession of. And it entails, even though today there's no Bechaira, there's no, there's no real halachas that are negeya to a Bechar in the times of Yaakov and Esav. Bechaira is something that's negeya when the Besam Mikdash is going to be built many, many, many years later. You're going to have the right to do the Abaydah. At that time, the Kaihanim that we call today Kaihanim are really the Bechairim. Sell me that right. It's not today. You know, today there's no nafkamina, whether you're a Bukhar or not, whether you have this, the, the, the kayak of a Bukhar or not, it doesn't matter to you. Sell it to me, says Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu was looking for the long-term investment. Yaakov Avinu was not looking at today. He was looking at what will be in a thousand years from now, in two thousand years from now. I want that Bukhara, not for myself. But I want to plant a seed now that will grow eventually and someday I will be able to have that Kedusha Sabachaira. Esav says, are you kidding me? You want that Bechaira? It's yours. No problem. I'm going to die. As the, the Rashbam, I believe, says that that's the, the nature of a hunter is he basically doesn't buy green bananas. He's not planning on living very long. You never know when you're its killer, get killed, and you're basically going to always, you know, you're not, life insurance agents will not sell you a plan if you're a hunter. It's too dangerous. So he says, I'm going to die anyway. What's this Bechaira? I need a Bechaira for a thousand, I'm going to worry now for a thousand years from now. I don't worry about five minutes from now. I'm going to worry about 500 years from now. What's going to be with my great-great-grandchildren in some temple in Jerusalem with some cows, with some... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you serious? That's, that's an easy deal. I'm, I'm, I'm down for that deal. And Taka, he bought the Kedusha Sabachaira. For the Kedusha Sabachaira, he bought a bowl of cholim. He sold the Kedusha Sabachaira. He was willing to give it all up for a nizid adoshim, for the instant gratification of now. I'm hungry, it looks good, it smells good, give it to me. What about the Kedusha Zabachaira? Who cares about Kedusha Zabachaira? That's tomorrow. That's down the road. I don't have to worry about that. I am seeing right now what I want, and I don't care about what tomorrow brings. That's Yaakov's business. Yaakov worries about tomorrow. And Esau is somebody that's a hunter. He thinks of today. And that was his fatal flaw. 
because he did that, he gave up Ladar Dairis, and he gave up his special right of the firstborn. For what? Did he get a billion dollars for it? Did he get a building in Manhattan for it? He got an Azid Adashim, and he was fine with that. He was fine. Good. And what we learn from this is that if we want to follow the Midas of Yaakov Avinu and push away the mindset of Esau, we have to be people that are not thinking about today. We're thinking about the future. We are people that live in the present, but constantly focus on the future. What we call this in the words of Chazal is being raya es being able to see what will develop down the road. Not seeing everything today, but rather being able to see later. Not being caught up in the present moment as most of us are, thinking what I need now, and I'm not thinking or worrying about what's going to be tomorrow, how I'm going to think tomorrow, how I'm going to feel tomorrow, how I'm going to be tomorrow. I care about right now. That's the mindset that many, many, I would say, ruba de ruba, most of the world thinks that way. They're not thinking about long-term planning. They're thinking about today. This is what I need today. This is what I want today, and this is what I get today. That's Esau. A chacham, as the Gemara in Tamid says, Ezel chacham harayas anaylad. Who is a chacham? You want to be a sharp, wise, clever person? You're a person that negates that mindset of Esau. You're a person that says, no, 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 I'm concerned about what will be. I'm being rayas anayla. I'm going to think with glasses. I'm not looking at the world with magnifying glasses of looking closely but I want long-term vision. I want to have a binocular. I want to look through a telescope of life. I want to see what will develop down the road, beyond the curve. That's what a chacham does. Now there's a, a story about the, the two brothers, Reb Chaim and his brother, Reb Zalmanel, of Elijah. We've spoken just last week, maybe two weeks ago, about the great Reb Chaim Elijah and how he started the yeshiva the, in Elijah and the mother of all yeshivas that all the other yeshivas of the world basically came from, how he was a Talmud Mubuk of the Vilna Gain. He had a brother, he had a younger brother, Reb Chaim Elijah, that was more brilliant than he, and that's saying a lot. If you can imagine being a Talmud of the Vilna Gain, you can imagine, and that was where Chaim Malajner was, the Talmud Mubuk of the Vilna Gain. You can imagine how brilliant he must have been. Just to be able to understand one sentence of the Vilna Gain, you have to be absolutely off the charts brilliant. But to sit by the Vilna Gain's feet for decades and drinking and absorbing his taira, obviously Chaim Malajner was of a, of, a different, of a different ilk of brilliance, but his younger brother, they say, was even brighter than him. Now, when you see a parent that has one child that's amazing, it could be that, that that parent is very, you know, a good parent, or it could be that he was lucky or she was lucky having such a kid. But when you see that, uh, that parents have two children that are magnificent, so then you have to ask yourself, what are they doing right? 
They must be doing something that are raising these children in a certain way. Where did they get that supposed to have two children like Reb Chaim Belozhner and Reb Zalmanol who by the way was Nifter very young, Reb Zalmanol. What, what, were, what were the parents all that? Who were these great parents that raised these children? So the story goes that they were raised by very wealthy parents. Their parents, his father, their father was a successful merchant, a businessman, and he used to go from week to week on these business trips, some places close by, some places far. And whenever he would come home, he would always bring home to his wife some gift. Sometimes perhaps it was perfume, maybe it was jewelry, maybe it was a new dress. And one time he was going on a far-off trip to a place that was uh, a Jewish location with a, a, a big Jewish community and a lot of farm stores. In those days, I don't think they had farm stores. Farm were very hard to come by. Today we walk into a farm store, you order online, you can get whatever you want for very cheap prices. In those days, to find any safe was a rare commodity. It cost a lot of money because a lot of it was it was very hard to come by. Either they were in manuscript form, or if they were actually off of a printing press, it was, it was rare and it was expensive. Still then. Obviously it was much cheaper to print than to write by hand, but it was still quite an expense and very hard to come by. So, Reb Chaim mother said to her husband, listen, you're going away on another trip, and I know that you with your generosity, your good heart, you want to bring me home something nice. I don't want any more jewelry. I have enough jewelry. I have enough clothing. I don't need anything. If you want to do something for me, I'll ask you a favor. Go. We don't have children yet. We're not zeichel. We've been married a number of years and we're not zeichel to have children. I'm trying to find schusim to have children. Go to that community. Find a shas. Find a complete set of shas which was not been imso was a it was, it was impossible to find. Make your business to find me a shas. Bring it home. And I want to start in my house a lending library that if anyone in the community wants to learn a masechka, I will lend it to them. And they will sign it out and then they will return it and then I will cross off their name from the list. And that's how I hope to build schusim and maybe someday we'll be able to have children. So her husband heard what she said and he got excited about this plan and he went on his business trip and he was able successfully to track down a shas, a complete set of shas, and he brought it home very gently with a lot of love and making sure that they were in good condition and he brings it to his wife and she's so excited about this gift that he brought her. And she spreads the word in the street that she has the shas and that she's lending out volumes of the shas and people, some people came more, some people came less, but it was an okay use. One day, the Shagas Aryeh, the Gadol Hadar, the Ili Hadar came to visit the city of Elazhin. As a footnote, someday the Shagas Aryeh would become the Rav of Elazhin. But now he was just a visitor in town and he was staying there for a week or two and he heard about this lady that had this shas. Now they didn't really know who the Shagasari was. They thought he was just 
a traveling rabbi or a traveling regular layman that was coming through town. And he goes to her house and he knocks on her door. He says, can I please borrow a Masechus Brachus? And she says, fine. She, she writes down his name and he takes it back to his hotel. An hour or two later, there's a knock on the door again of her house. This man is returning to Masechus Brachus. He'd now like to borrow a Masechus Shabbos. Okay? He gives, she gives him the Sefer Shabbos, signs it out, crosses off the brachas. A few hours later, another knock on the door, returning the Sefer Shabbos. Can I please have the Sefer And he's going through Shas. And all of a sudden, she sees that this is not any regular person. This is a Shasi. This is a person that's a Gain Eilam. And she says, You don't have to keep coming back to me. I see what's going on. Every hour, or every two hours, I will personally bring to your hotel room the next volume, and then the next volume, the next volume. This is what went on from the time that Shagasari came to town until the time that Shagasari left. Reb Chaim and Reb Zamano mother kept on doing this. She was mamish able to serve this master of the Shagasari in such a beautiful manner. And as he was leaving town, the Shagasari, he told her, I want to give you a bracha. I understand that you don't have children. I'm blessing you right now that you are going to have two sons. One son will teach Shas to the world. And the other son will be so brilliant that he will never need a Shas because Shas will be in his mind and in his heart. He went out of the city of Velazhin and nine months later, she gave birth to Reb Chaim Mivalajan, and then a few years later to Reb Zaman Mivalajan, and, and the rest is history. As a PS, like I said before, he eventually, Shagasara, became the Rav of Velazhin, and he ended up teaching these boys, Reb Chaim Mivalajan and Reb Zaman Mivalajan. And he helped grow them into the Tamidachachamim that they were in order to be Makabal Tyra from the Vilna Gain. Just another interesting story about Rabchaim Mala. We'll get to the punchline here in a minute if you're wondering why I'm talking about this. Rabzamun they say, whenever he did any mitzvah, he always learned all of the halachas of that mitzvah before he did it. That's how brilliant he was. So, for example, if he would, you know, before he would bench, he would learn all of Hilchas Birchas HaMazen. Before he put on tefillin in the morning, he would learn all of Hilchas tefillin. Before he would, uh, I don't know, say Kiddush Levana, he would learn Hilchas Kiddush Levana. Every mitzvah that he did, he learned all of the halachas beforehand. And... The story goes that one time somebody brought him a package and the package was honey cookies. Honey cookies. So he was seen learning Hilchas Kibbutz And then nobody made a big deal about it. Then he was Nifter of Zalman Malajan. And they asked him, Chaim Malajan, one time we saw your brother eating cookies, and we know he always learned halachas, but he was learning, he was learning halachas kibbutz 
Why are we learning all this kibbutz avain? So he says, what type of cookies were they? They were honey cookies. Reb Chaim Elazar smiles. Says, now I understand. He says, my brother hated honey cookies, but my mother felt that it would be healthy for him to eat honey cookies. So she told him, I want you when you eat in cookies, it should be a honey cookie. And he couldn't stand honey cookies, but he would eat it only for one purpose, for Kibbutz Avain, because of that great mother that was there to have him because of the lending of the shas. That was the mother that told him to eat honey cookies, so he ate it, but he ate it before his Kibbutz Avain, and that's why he learned all his Kibbutz Avain before he ate it. Now, we have very few Vertloch or Tyro from... Jewish women throughout history. If you notice, most of the Torah that we have in Shas and in Paiskin and in and in Chazal and everything, it's it's men. Okay, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not saying whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's the reality. The reality is that 99.9999999 I could keep going percent of the Torah in this base Medrash is from men. Is that is that a fair thing to say? Yes. Thank you. So. But we have a few Vertlof from women throughout, throughout, uh, throughout the millennia. One Vart that we have is from Rechaim Velazhner's mother. This holy woman, there's a Vart that's told from her. And it's Nagea to the Shmuz, and that's why I'm bringing it. There's a, a word in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, which is very, a rich language, there's a word for a midwife. There's actually two words for a midwife. The word that the Torah uses for a midwife, a midwife is a mialedes. We find that in, in, in Parashas uh, Shemais. But in the Lushan of the Mishnah, the Mishnah uses a different Lushan for a midwife, for a woman that is able to help a mother have, have a baby, and that's called a chachama. If you look in a Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah and Afkaf Gimel Amidbez, it says, One of the people that we have a dispensation that they're allowed to um, leave the Tchuk on Shabbos and come back is like, like the Hatzola Heter, the Heter for Hatzola to go out of the Tchum and come back because we're afraid if we don't allow it, they're not going to go in the first place. It's a Chachama, a Chachama that has to go, a midwife that's going on a mission to help a mother give birth, she's allowed also to go and come back. So, the question is asked, why is she called a Chachama? It's such a big Chachma to get, help a mother give birth. I mean, it's a profession. Uh, there is something called midwifery. It's a profession, but is that a bigger Chachma um, than, than being a doctor for a woman, being a lawyer, being a, an accountant, being an actuary? There's a lot of things that require Chachma. Why is she called a Chachama? What's so smart about a midwife? So, Reb Chaim Malajner's mother says, it's a great verse, that that Gemara and Tamid says, Ezel Chacham Haroyes HaNailad. Who is a Chacham? Somebody that sees the Nailad, sees, sees what will develop, but literally means somebody that sees the, 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 the baby. The baby that's being born, seeing that through, that's a, that's a Chacham. So a Chacham is somebody that's a midwife because she is Rayas Anailad. She, she's the first one to see the Nailad. So I want to talk a little bit about this concept of being a Rayas Anailad, if we may. 
What does it mean being Raya Sanailud? What does that mean exactly? Does it mean that I have to be a Navi? Does it mean that I have to have the Kayach of Nebuah to be able to see what will happen in the future? How am I supposed to know what will happen in the future? Do I know? If I would have a crystal ball, I'd be able to tell you what will happen. How does a Chacham is Raya Sanailud? What does that mean? How is a. And the truth is that the Gemara tells us that a Chacham is Adif Mi Navi. In a certain way, a Chacham is somebody that's more powerful than a Navi. Mikaya Chachma, from wisdom, a person is really able to see even clearer than a Navi what will be. Now, how do you do that? I would really like to know what is going to be happening next week on the stock market. If I knew what was happening next week on the stock market, I'd be a billionaire. If I knew what numbers would be drawn in the in the next Powerball, I would be a multimillionaire. I want to know the. I want to be a, a chacham to be Raya Sanayla. Is that what it means to be Raya Sanayla? Have to be like a have to be a some somebody that is actually able to to uh, have clairvoyancy to be able to see something that no one else can. The answer is absolutely not. That's not what it means. We have to look in the Rishayim to see what this means. Raya Sanayla. There's a Mishnah in Pirkei Abbas that doesn't say Zel Chacham Everybody thinks that's a Mishnah Navis. It's not. But there is this quote of being Raya Sanayla in Pirkei Abbas in Parak Bey's Mishnah Yod Gimel. Ezelhi Derech Taiva Sheyidvak Baha Adam. What's the best path that a person should cleave to? And one of the Tanaim, Reb Shimon Aimer, Haraya Sanayla. You should see what's going to happen. That's the path that you should take in life. See a little bit ahead of life. What's going to be? So we have to look in the, in the Rishayim, and what do they say that that means, being Raya Sanayla? So the Rambam says like this, in his Pirish HaMishnayis Tavis, Sheyilmad Masha Asad Liyais Mimashu Nimsa Ato You should learn what will happen by what's happening now, meaning Sheyilmad HaNistar Minhanira, you should learn what's hidden from what's seen. And he brings a mashal to this. If a person is in the lending business, if I am very good with lending money, let's say I'm running a gemach, and I lend money to people, it's a mitzvah to lend money to people, and you should lend money to people. But let's say I see that I'm lending to a person, the person can't pay me back. Then stop lending the person money. If you're a chacham that's rayas and don't throw good money after bad. You made a bad investment once and the guy stiffed you for the money, learn from your mistakes. Don't say, okay, he didn't give me this, but I'm going to, let me give him a little bit more money. Maybe then I'll get it back. That's ridiculous. Somebody that's rayas and is not a fool. He's able to make a cheshpin and see from past experiences what will be in the future. If I see that I was burnt by somebody, I'm not going to do that again. That's the Rambam's taich in being rayas hanayla. Don't make mistakes. Those who fail to learn from history are what? Doomed to repeat it. Historians know what happened in the past, and very often whatever happened in the past, mashahaya hushayir. Whatever happened in the past, life is basically very predictable in many ways. If you see that something is happening to you, it's probably going to happen again and again and again like that. Albert Einstein has a famous 
Pishkam, a famous quote, very off-sighted. And he says, the definition of insanity. What is insanity? Somebody that does the same exact thing over and over and over again, and what? He expects different results. It's not going to change. If it happened once and twice and three times, you can assume that it's going to happen a fourth and a fifth and a sixth time. And if it's and, and, and if you don't get that and you think it's going to be different, then you're insane. But there are many people that are insane in this regard. We, we do the same things over and over again, and we think that it's going to get better, and it doesn't. I'm going to give you some examples of this. Let's say davening. Waking up for davening. Many people have a, have a problem getting up in the morning for davening. Now, why do they have a problem getting up in the morning for davening? Because, well, it could be a number of reasons, but I think the main reason is because they get to sleep too late. If a person would get to sleep at a certain time, let's say by 11 o'clock at night, he'd probably be able to have a much better chance of waking up at 7.30 in the morning than if he would get to sleep at 2 o'clock in the morning. Because from 2 o'clock to 7 o'clock is 5 hours. For a young man, 5 hours is not enough time to sleep. So to get up in the morning after 5 hours of sleep or less is really an impossible thing, and you're probably not going to be able to get up for davening. And even if you do get up for davening, you're going to go back to the dorm after davening, you're going to miss a good part of first aid, if not the whole first aid. Okay, so you did that once. But tomorrow it's going to be different. So tonight, I'm going to stay up again till 2 o'clock in the morning, and guess what's going to happen? I'm not going to get up for davening. And then I'm going to try it again and again, I'm going to think it's going to have different results, that's insanity. A chacham is somebody that's reyes hanaylet. A chacham is not somebody that thinks about waking up for davening in the morning, he thinks about waking up for davening already when? The night before. There's a famous word, I don't know who says it, but in the, in, the, in the Mishnah that we say in the morning, or we should be saying in the morning, by Karbanis, it says that, um, that one of the things that all the Meichel Perisim, is Hashkamas Beis HaMedrash, Shachris Va'avis. Waking up in the morning for Shachris, and Avis, what does it mean Avis? What, you go to sleep before Mayav and you wake up for that? Some people might. But the, the Taich and the Mishnah, they say is, that you know how, you're, you, know how you do Ashkamas based on Medr Shachris? By Avis. You think about the night before, I'm going to need a certain amount of sleep, and that's going to make me get into bed by a certain time, and then I'll be able to wake up for davening like, like a mensch. If you go to sleep at night in the wee hours of the morning and whatever you're doing, whether it's uh, doing things that are kosher or not kosher, but you expect that you're going to automatically wake up in the morning, it's not being reyes and And if you keep on thinking that that's going to happen, you're not learning like the Rambam says. You're not learning the nister minanira. Yeah, I don't know what's going to be tomorrow morning, but, but you could probably get a good idea of what will happen from prior experimentation, and you know when you get enough sleep, you have much more of a chance of getting up. So you're expected to go to sleep at a normal time, period. 
And if you don't, then you're not a Chacham. You're not being right as you're acting like Esau. You're acting like Esau that right now I want to stay up, I want to party, I want to go here, I want to go there, I want to watch this, I want to do that. And so it's going to keep on, I'm going to do it the whole night. I'm not going to get up in the morning for davening. That's Esau. Esau doesn't make cheshpenes about the Kedushas HaBechairah of, of tomorrow. The Kedushas HaTfilah of tomorrow. He just thinks about tonight. I've had more than one Talmud come over to me over the years and say that they can't get up for davening. I said, well, what are you doing at night, the night before? You know, Rebbe, you don't want to know. And then I told me, is it something really bad? Is it something like, you know, that I'm going to... He says, it's not bad, but it's not good. I said, what does that mean? He says, well, I'm addicted to video games. And I can't stop playing video games. So I, I come back to my room after my room, and I'm up half a night with my video games. And then one guy was explaining to me these video games, what they are. I'm, I'm used to, you know, I'm an old-timer. So for me, a video game is Pac-Man. A video game is uh, Miss Pac-Man. Uh, asteroids. Uh, you know, there's different cool games. That, you know, whatever. There, there, there were games, you know, that we used to play. Atari, like the old Atari, uh, you know, it was very, very crude, like very simple graphics, but it was fun. Today, he was telling me about the video games that exist today, and this is not a plug for them, but it's just, it's, it's amazing. He says, like, he says, you get into, like, this whole alternate fantasy story, and you become a character, and there's a whole soap opera that develops around that character. He says, I'm crying from it. He says, you know, he's going through these, it's Mamish, an alternate universe. And you stop the game, you take, you know, you continue and you play against other people out there on the internet. And I don't know, this is a whole new world for me. But he says he's going to sleep at five o'clock in the morning every night. I said, so what are you, what are you coming to me for? Well, you think, do you think I have an ATSA for that? I can't, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't give you medicine to, to make you have, be able to function on two hours of sleep. It's not rocket science that you have to realize that if you can't wake up for davening, then go to sleep earlier. But I have a paper doing it. I know. So, so then plan. That's also being Reyes Hanayla. What are you waiting for the last minute to do your paper for? Start it a few weeks beforehand and do a little bit every night. Or don't, you know, if you have a big test coming up, you have a lab or whatever. So do a little every night or chazu every night what you learned that day. And then when it comes to the midterms and the finals, you'll already be, be pretty much ready. It's just going to be just a quick review for you. All of this is together being Reyes Hanayla. If you're a, if you're a tippish, and you want to just do everything now that I want to do, and then wait, keep procrastinating and pushing off to the last minute, and seeing what the results are. We know what the results are. We've tried that already. This is what it means to be Reyes Hanoilad in the Ashkaf of the Rambam. And we could say a million different cases, you know, similar, but I think that gives us a good idea of what we have to do in the Rambam's world to be Reyes Hanoilad. Rabbeinu Yaina to Abbas says a different important point about being Reyes Anaylan. He says, Shenaysen Einav al Kaldabar, you examine everything, the Raya Kaladvaram Hanodim Kaidem Shayaldu, and you see things happening before they happen. Ukisharaya Dabar Shesh Shabitchilasai, the Saifai Megali De Hafsid, Misrachak Mimenu. When you see something that short term is geschmack, 
long term is painful, then stay away from that thing. It seems a little bit like the Rambam, but I think it's much different. I think Rabbi Yain is much different than the Rambam. Rabbi Yain is telling us not to go for instant gratification. What does that mean, instant gratification? I'll tell you what it means. Now is a good time of year to talk about instant gratification. Let's say you have you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. What does it mean? What do, what do these terms mean? These terms mean that companies that sell stuff, whatever the stuff may be, whether it's an Xbox, whether it's a you know, flat screen TV, a new laptop, a new iPhone, a new iPod, whatever it is, they want you to buy it. And you want to buy it. So they lure you into buying it, and they say it's a, a vilda mitzvah, a wild sale that we're having. Instead of, you know, instead of $2,000, we're giving it to you, $1,800. Wow, that's amazing. And people are standing around corners in the bitter cold. They're standing around the block threefold to, to be the first guy in to Best Buy and, you know, at, uh, you know, at, at Neitzachama, you know, for, uh, to get into the store to save a few hundred bucks on a, on a $2,000 item. Now, they don't have 200 bucks to begin with. Forget about, forget about 2000 They don't have the money. You see the people that are standing around the line. These are not, you don't see Donald Trump standing around, you know, at Best Buy at, at 3 o'clock in the morning. You see people that are, that, that mamish don't have lechem lecho. People that don't live normally. They don't have a normal life. They have no jobs. They have no careers. They have no professions. They have no income. But yet to save a few hundred dollars on this Xbox, they'll do it. That's not, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about Eden also. We also spend a lot of money and we can't afford it. How do we do it? How do we do it? We don't have the money. The answer is there's a piece of plastic. It's in our wallets, and it's called a credit card, and it whispers to us every time we take out our wallet, use me, swipe me. Okay, I'll swipe you. So I go into a store, I see something that I like, I can't afford it. It could be an Xbox, it could be a flat screen TV, it could be a shop, whatever it is. I don't care what it is, it doesn't matter what the commodity is, it doesn't make it mutter. I can't afford it, but I want it now. This is what I want. This is mine, the Zid Adashim. I want it, and I want it now. What I have to give up for it? I'll worry about that. When the invoice comes at the end of the month, I'll worry about what I purchased throughout the month. But right now, I don't feel it. Right now, I want it. As the Rabbeinu Yaina says, Bitchilasai, there's schar. It's kishmak in the instant. Bitchilasai, maybe they have it. But in the end, it's going to be a terrible loss. I'm going to get into tremendous credit card debt. You know how many people suffer from credit card debt? Men and women, old and young people, they just keep swiping that credit card. They have no income, or they don't nearly have the income that's going to pay for this. But people are traveling, and they're buying, and they're selling, and they're they're doing all these things. They don't have the money. What are you doing? You're getting yourself deeper and deeper and deeper into a hole of debt that you'll never perhaps crawl out of. Why are you doing this? Because I'm not being Reyes and Naila. Because I can't see when I'm in that Best Buy. I can't understand that there's going to be down the road a very high cost for this. All I know is that right now it's on sale. It's something that I really want. All my friends have it. I'm going to get it. 
And it's the biggest curse in the world to have this, this need to buy things without any cheshpainas. The Bir Halacha speaks about this, the Chazan Ish speaks about this, and Chaim Kanievsky speaks about this in Archas Yesher, about how terrible it is when a person gets so deep into Chaybis that he can't live and he has to run away because all the creditors are coming after him. This is a nice Bechalyan. People move to America from Eretzishel, people move to Eretzishel from America because they have such debt that they're, they're paralyzed and they're locked in their debt. They can't get out. So the only thing they can do is escape. How did it happen? It didn't happen because they were being frugal. It happened because they were doing things in the short term that were foolish, but they had this need to buy. I have to buy. And then they pay a very exorbitant price for it down the road. Something that we have to think about in life. I once had a friend that was very, very, very deep in, into financial debt. Because he was a consumer. And some people look at a consumer as like, that's a badge of honor. You know, it means you're American. If you're a consumer, you're an American. You're a good American. A consumer is like the worst thing in the world to be so magushim that you're a consumer. You have a shame consumer. I'm, I'm the guy, I get the newest iPhone. And I need the newest this. And I get, get the, you know, every time a new thing comes out, I'm the one, I'm the first guy to get it. What do you need it for? It doesn't work? If it works, then keep it. I have, uh, I'm not bragging in any which way, but I have an iPhone. I have a, this is I, it's my phone. It's an iPhone. It's a flip phone. It was, you know, you know my story. I had a, uh, I had a, a smartphone for, for a while. It was a Blackberry. That, that teaches you how long ago it was. And, and it was like taking up a lot of my time, and I wasn't happy that I had it. And um, anyway, I was speaking once on the phone, and it dropped and it cracked. So that was my sin and I should get rid of it. So I went to the, to the store, the AT&T store, and there was this like, teenage girl that was behind the counter. And she says, yes, sir, you want, to, uh, you, want to, you want a new Blackberry? I said, no. She said, oh, you probably want the new iPhone. I said, no. She says, you want the new uh, Galaxy? I said, no. So I said, what do you want? I said, do you have like the old flip phones, you know, like that, you know, from the 1990s, like, you know, the really old, I said, the, the flip phone, you sh- you're, you're downgrading? You're going from a Blackberry to a, to, a, to a flip phone? I said, yeah, is that a problem? She says, I guess it's not a problem, because nobody ever did that before. I, you know, I, I've been working here for a while, I've never seen that before. And she said, let me check the basement, see if we have any left. So she comes up with like one, you know, she's like holding it like the last Tyson America, you know, that story. She's like holding it like, you know, like the box with like, like, sir, this is the last flip phone that will be sold in America. Take good care of it, you know. And she like, she blows like the dust right into my face. And, and I say, fine. And, and basically it works, you know, it's a... Uh, it, it makes my kids laugh at me because every time I take a picture, it makes this loud. I do it, but it's like we don't have the time. But like, it makes this really loud sound. Like the whole room gets scared when I take a picture. Um, the other night, I was by Rebaron Schefter, and I spent like a lot of time with him. Baruch Hashem, we had a nice, nice, nice night together. And um, and he was looking through some of my svarim, and he was getting a lot of hanan. I really wanted to take a picture, but 
So I had no choice. Like, so I took out this, and I and I took I took a few pictures with it. But like, it startled him. Like every like he like looked up. Like every time we're taking a picture, he's used to people taking pictures on a, on an iPhone, which doesn't really make a sound. So, you know, is it a fancy phone? No, but it works. It makes a phone call. The one thing that I do miss about my my smartphone, truth be told, is. It used to organize my life. Like I knew if I'd have a doctor's appointment, if I had a dentist's appointment, if I had to speak somewhere, if I had, a, you know, if I had to be somewhere at a fastna, it all, you know, it bings and it gives me a reminder. And I, I know you're going to tell me this phone has it also, but it takes me more time to, to program that in than I could actually, you know, go to the fastna and back in that time. <laughs> so that's the one thing that messed me up with this phone. Okay, but other than that, you know, because and I, I, I miss. Everything. I, I miss fastness. I miss appointments. I miss one time I came the wrong week to Baltimore to speak. I had to go back the next. No joke. All because my my because. But but but. Clips from that. You have a. You know. It works. I need to get the newest iPhone. Am I crazy? How much does an iPhone cost to buy? Six hundred dollars. How much does it cost a month? And how much time are are we going to waste on it? And how many apps are we buying to put on that thing? How can we afford this? Are we, are we that wealthy and that stupid that we, have, that we need this? The answer is well, everybody else has it. And if everybody else has it, then I need it. And if I don't have it, then I'm deprived. And I don't want to be deprived, so I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to lose out and forget the cheshman of tomorrow. I'm going to make that today. I'm going to make that purchase today, and it's going to be good. That's Esau. Esau says, spend without a cheshman. Buy the nizid adoshim, but it's going to cost you down the road the Kedusha Sabachairah. I'll worry about that later. It's not Right now I want what I know. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I get. That's the opposite of a Chacham. A person has to live within their means. And if they live outside of their means, then it's foolish, it's dangerous, it's foolhardy, and it's something that's ace of dick. Very, very important, you say. And it's the same thing for smoking. We smoke now because we're young and we're healthy and it's cool. We see on the box of cigarettes, smoking causes cancer. That wasn't good enough. They put a picture of a, of a, of a, of a diseased lung on the box. Still, people are buying it like it's going out of style. What are you doing? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? You're buying cigarettes, you're smoking cigarettes that's going to kill you, it's going to cause emphysema, that's going to cause all types of other untold diseases. Are you nuts? Is there any cheshpan here? What's the answer? The answer is, I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I want it now. I'm addicted right now and that's what I want. That's my nezid adoshin. It's the same thing for, of course, for drugs we don't have to talk about in Yeshiva Baruch Hashem. Hopefully, um, we don't have to talk about drinking in yeshiva. Hopefully, what are you crazy? You're drinking alcohol? You want to get addicted to that stuff? Is that normal? The answer is it's minus adoshim. Leave me alone. So you're an asov. Maturity means not always seeing what's in front of you. Dieting is the same thing. Dieting is is much more kosher. Eating is much more kosher than smoking and drinking and drugs because it's something that we have to do. But it's, isn't it the hardest thing in the world to diet? How many times have we started diets and then, and then quit 
sometimes within hours, sometimes within days. We see that piece of chocolate cake in front of us, and we want it. Aye, but we know it's not going to register on the scale. We're not going to be able to get skinnier if we have that chocolate cake. It's not good for us. The doctor said we have to lose weight, but I want it. That's my nizid adashim. It's a very hard thing. That's, that's, but, it, but, it, but it's something that we have to work on. Because if we don't, then we're not being reyes and neilad. And the final thing that I want to talk about, about being reyes and neilad, is, is perhaps the most important. A person has to think when he's alive now, what's going to be with his Eilam Haba? That's the greatest Reyes HaNeilad. Chazal call it being able to be Mechen L'Shabbos. Mishatarach Be'erev Shabbos, Yechob Shabbos. If we want to have good food tonight for Shabbos, we have to cook, we have to shop, we have to buy Arab Shabbos. That's what people do today. They scramble all over the place to find food and, you know, to go and get nash and to get drinks and, and if you're married, to buy, to buy other stuff to cook and to bake, etc. Let's say I'm lazy. Let's say I just don't, I'm not in the mood to shop today. And now I come home Friday night. Guess what? There's not going to be any food on the table because you didn't shop on Arab Shabbos. Because you were not Rayas Hanailid, you didn't see that Shabbos you're going to need stuff. So you didn't shop Arab Shabbos, you're not going to have anything on Shabbos. That's the way this world is. If we're thinking about Shabbos, if we're thinking about Elam Haba in this world, and we're preparing for Elam Haba, we're being Rayas Hanailid, we're looking beyond this ephemeral physical world. Then, if we're not looking beyond this world, then we're in trouble. Because we're going to get up to Elam Haba and we're not going to be able to have anything to eat. We're not going to have any schar. We're not going to have all the good matamim, all the madamim that Akadosh has for us. We're not going to be able to have them because we didn't do what we were supposed to in this world. This is a world that we have to do right. We have to get it right in this lifetime. We can't wait until we're old and gray and then hope to scramble and, and to get some Eilam Haza. We have to try to work really hard in this world in order to get the next world. That's the difference between Yaakov and Esav. Yaakov was the one that was supposed to be getting Eilam Haba. But he knew that in order to get Eilam Haba, he's going to have to give up Eilam Haza to a certain degree. Now we know that a, a, somebody that really lives like a Yid properly in Pekdusha Batara, he has both worlds. But, but Yaakov does have to give up the luxuries of this world if he really wants to get Eilam Abba. Esav gets this world. So he's not concerned about Eilam Abba. He just wants to think now. What do I do now to party? What do I do now to enjoy life? What am I gonna, where am I going to go on a fancier vacation to a better restaurant, to a better experience, I want to chaperone this world. That's what all these extreme sports are all about. They want to like have a rush for my lamaza. Want to go on the, the tallest roller coaster. I want to go bungee jumping. 
I want to do something extreme so that I feel like, wow, this is a life. That's not what a yid is supposed to be doing. A yid is not supposed to be hopping Olam Haza. A yid is supposed to be hopping Olam Haba in this world. That's what it means to be Reyes Hanah, to think a little bit ahead of what's going to be. How do I want to live my life? How am I going to wake up every morning for davening? How am I going to learn every day like a mensch? How am I going to make sure to be kabeitim? What's the profession that I'm going to be able to choose that's not going to make me the most money, but that's going to allow me to support my family bekavid and also give me the opportunity to learn as much as I can and to daven like a mensch and to spend time with my kids? That's being reyes hanayod. Planning, life planning, estate planning. Making sure that you're not living just for today, but you're planning out ahead of time the future. I'll tell you a great story that happened with a bachar that came to Panovich for a faher. Panovich, Nehrtisrael, is considered like the Harvard of yeshivas. And a lot of bachar want to get in. You need a lot of pull, a lot of protection. There's very, there's limited space. And everybody wants to get into to Panovich. It's like brisk. A brisk in a, here, to, go, to get into brisk, everybody's dying to get into brisk. Every guy in, in every yeshiva, every you know, yeshiva, yeshiva in the world, that's the goal. I want to get into, see, they start out mamish planning which high school to go to, which base manager to go to, because that's the one that brisk takes from the most. And, there's, uh, you know, and it's a whole hack how to get into brisk. Because it's an Ivy League yeshiva. It has a very chash of a reputation. So Panovich is like that as well in Eretz Yisrael. And so once upon a time there was a buffer that came for a faher. Let's call him an 18-year-old buffer. And he took a faher. And I don't know if he did super well. And anyway, they told him in a very nice way that we're not accepting you to yeshiva. We don't have enough beds in the dormitory. That was the excuse that they made. We don't have enough beds in the dormitory. It's a nice way of saying, you know, sorry, but, you know, it's not, not for you. So, this boy was from Switzerland. Came all the way from Switzerland. It's obvious that this was his goal to get into Panamich. He was very disappointed. He said, can I please speak to the Panamich Rebetzin? The Panovich Rav was the Rashiva of Kahneman. He was the, leg- the visionary founder of Panovich. We've spoken about him about 10 million times. His wife was the Panovich Rebetzin. So I want to speak to the Rebetzin. So you want to speak to the Rebetzin? You want to well, maybe speak to the Rav, you know, by Minchachapim, but like the Rebetzin you want to speak to? Yes, I want to speak to the Rebetzin. Okay, so the Manal, the, the executive director, whoever it was, took him to the Rebetzin, and the boy hands the Rebetzin a piece of paper. The Rebetzin puts on her reading glasses, reads the piece of paper, she looks up at the boy, and she says to the Manal, to the executive director, whoever's in charge of the yeshiva, find him a bed. He's in yeshiva, mazel tov. And the executive is like, what? Hello? Like, he, find him a bed. Like the Panovich Rebetzin says, find him a bed. She find, he finds him a bed. But like, you know, that's not the way the policy of yeshiva works. Normally, that's not the way it works. You take a fahar, you either get it or you don't. The Rebetzin doesn't have any, have any say. What was on that piece of paper? 
I know a lot of you are thinking it's probably a check. <laughs> but it wasn't. What happened was, we have to go back in time about 10, 12 years before that buffer applied to Panovich. He was a, a wealthy young child, and his mother took him to a certain hotel in Switzerland on vacation. The father was a businessman, he, had to, he couldn't make it with him. But the mother and this son, this young son, who she called the young cavalier, he was like a cute little you know, kid from Switzerland with like a beret on his head and you know, dressed up very fancy like these European kids sometimes could be. And, you know, she kept calling the little cavalier. So they had a room, they were very hush of a balabatin, and they always got the same room in this special kosher hotel in, by the Swiss Alps. They got a hotel on the first, they got a room on the first floor, very hush of a room on the first floor, they didn't have to climb any steps, there was no elevators in those buildings, so it was a very hush room. All of a sudden, one day, there was a knock on the door of, the, of their room, the mother goes to the door and opens it up, and here there was a woman. And her name was Rebetzin Kahaneman. And she says, I have to ask you a favor. You don't know me, I don't know you. My name is Kahaneman. She says, oh, from Panovich, yeah, yeah. She says, I'm here with my husband. We're here on vacation, Mary, to tell my husband is not a healthy man. He runs all around the world collecting money for his yeshiva, and he has a bad heart condition. We came here to rest and to relax a little bit so he could continue doing his strenuous work. He needs to relax. There's no rooms left on the first floor of the hotel. There's only one room left on the third floor. He can't walk up three flights of stairs. I know I'm asking a lot, but would you do me a personal favor and move up to the third floor so my husband and I can have room on the first floor? So the woman says, listen... I agree, but you have to ask the little cavalier whether he agrees, because after all, we're both in this together. So she looks at him, the rabbits, and she says, okay, little cavalier, what do you have to say? So this boy was obviously a very smart boy. He wasn't some seven-year-old Swiss kid. He says... I'm happy to move up to the third floor and to give the rub and the rabbits in my room. But I want you to agree to one thing. There will be a day that I will want to come to Panovich. Because I know that that's the best yeshiva in the world for me. I'm giving up my bed for the Panovich Arav. I want the Panovich Arav to give up a bed in the yeshiva for me when I'm going to need it. That's, the, that's what a seven-year-old kid is thinking about. And the Rebetzin was very impressed. And she sat down and she wrote a shtar that I, on this and this day, guarantee that this and this boy will be given a bed in the Yeshiva Panovich when he applies. And she went, it, she went to the, the Panovich Arav and he signed it. And then she gave it, the mother kept it in a special place in her dresser until the day that this boy was ready to go to Panovich. And he brought it with him, and that was the piece of paper that he presented to the Panovich Rebbe. 
That's what it means to be a Chacham. That's what it means to be Raya Eshanayla, to be able to see in a distance what's going to be not today, what's going to be down the road. All the Mepharshim, all the beautiful Rishayim, when they write their poetry about Elam Haba, they all say the same signum. We have to prepare a package to take with us for the road. You don't go on a road trip without first filling up at the local supermarket and getting all types of nash and sandwiches and food. You don't go on a road trip without that. You don't go on a vacation without taking suitcases with everything that you may need. Suits and pants and bathing suits and socks and sweat socks and slippers. Everything. What don't we take when you go on a one-week vacation? And if we're going on a vacation with Netzach Netzachim for 10 billion trillion years, shouldn't we pack something for that? Shouldn't we be thinking a little bit in this world about the importance of packing provisions for that long journey? But yet we don't. We go through our lives day in and day out as if there's no Eilam as if all there is an Eilam and we're focused on the here and now. We're focused on all the things that we enjoy as Americans. Our sports, our food, our entertainment, our music, our fun. Our ent- That's what we're focused on. Am I wrong? Yes, we learn and we daven, but we spend so much of our day with Hev over Rick, spending time surfing on the, on the web, looking at nothing. Buying things, shopping for what? For nothing. Buying all the latest gadgets for nothing. Instead of spending the most valuable commodity that we have, which is our time, our life, on preparing, on thinking a little bit ahead. What are we going to have for the future? We're wasting our time and the clock of Arab Shabbos is ticking in more ways than one. And we're not going to have what to take on Shabbos with us. We're going to be in Eilam Haba looking back at the charata of all of that time that I, didn't, I, I could have packed and I didn't pack. I didn't even bring my passports. You know, there's a joke about a person that uh, a wife and a husband come to the airport and, um, and they're standing around like in the, in the, in the you know, a, in the waiting area before they, before they uh, go to the counter. And the wife says to the husband, you know, there's something that I, I wish I had brought with us. She said, he said, what? Did you forget the, you know, your, your sunscreen? No, 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 I brought the sunscreen. Did you forget, the, uh, you know, did you forget to bring a, you know, a snood? Uh, so your jewelry? No, 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 I brought all that. So you, you know, what do you wish you had brought? I wish I had brought the piano. I wish I had brought the piano. Says the piano? The piano weighs like three tons. Why would you need a piano where we're going? She says, because I left the passports on it. We have to remember to take everything that we're going to need on our trip. We're going to need our passports. What's our passports to get into Elam Haba? Our passports are Taira and Mitzvah, Meisim Taivim, Tzedakah, Chesed, that's all we have in Eilam Abba. That's the food that we're going to be eating there. That's where we're going to be gnashing from, Eilam Vayab. 
So why are we spending all of our days and our nights consumed by trivial things instead of doing what we really have to be doing? Davening and learning, being good to one another, loving Hashem with all of our hearts, making our life a serious experience, raising our families in a way that's tiredic, that's simple, that's nice, that's normal, that has an avas hatayra, a yerushamayim. That's all we have in life. If we're tipshim, we're not going to see that. We're going to be asavs. We're going to be able to live our lives for the present moment and not think about that day. But if we're chachamim, and we are like Yaakov Avinu and Ishtam, Yeshev Aholim, we're going to be able to not just see the Nezid Adashim in front of us, as good as it looks. We're going to be able to see the Kedusha Sabachaira, all of the holiness that awaits us if we make the right decisions every single day of our life. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and the Mitzvah Hashem, we should take these lessons to heart because these are life-altering Yisaitis.